0: This is the Mended Paths podcast with Chadwick Hayward, episode 11. Welcome to MendedPaths.com. Let's get back to bed. Hi, Path Menders. Thank you so much for joining me for the 11th episode of the Mend It Pass podcast. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Dr. Brooke Goldner. She is a board-certified medical doctor and the best-selling author of Goodbye Lupus. She has been featured in multiple documentaries and has shared the stage with Drs. Dean Ornish, Caldwell Esselstein, Michael Greger, and T. Colin Campbell. She was featured on the front cover of Vegan Health and Fitness magazine not once, but twice, She's the author of, as I said, Goodbye Lupus and Green Smoothie Recipes to Kickstart Your Health and Healing and star of the DVDs Goodbye Lupus and Super Healthy Meals for Your Family. She is a graduate of the Temple University School of Medicine and was chief resident at UCLA Harbor Residency in Psychiatry and holds a certificate in plant-based nutrition from Cornell University. She is the founder of veganmedicaldoctor.com and creator of the hypernourishing healing protocol for lupus recovery. After naturally healing her own body of lupus, her current mission is to reach as many people with disease as possible to help them heal and lead healthy, meaningful lives. Well, hello, Dr. Goldner. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: So your story is absolutely incredible. A lot of my listeners probably haven't heard it before. Do you want to give us a little bit of a background of like your medical issues started really early in life? Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure, absolutely. So before I became a doctor, I was a patient. And at 16 years old, I was diagnosed with an illness called lupus, which is an autoimmune disease that where your immune system starts attacking your own organs because it doesn't Recognize self and non-self anymore.
0: Yeah,
1: and at 16 years old, I was already in stage four kidney failure And my doctors gave me about six months to live unless they did some very uh, intense and experimental treatments and so I was put on not only the usual regimen of steroids and Other medications, but I was also put on chemotherapy for two years straight Wow to try to shut down my immune system, kind of control, alt, delete, shut it off and hope that it would restart in a more healthy way. And it was an excruciating couple of years. I mean, from 16 to 18 years old to be on constant chemotherapy was really, really difficult. And, you know, my life was just focused on graduating high school and using whatever days I felt healthy to get ahead of my textbooks so that the next time I was throwing up from chemo, I I wouldn't miss out on anything. And so that really was the focus of my life. And I was able to graduate in the top 10 of my class and get scholarships to college, even though I was so sick because my my family was just so, so supportive and good at keeping me really focused on what I needed to do to live my purpose in my life instead of on the illness that was trying to rob me from it. And thankfully, the, the chemotherapy and the steroids and all the medications I took did put me into a remission. So it stopped the attack on my kidney and it kept my lupus levels at a manageable level. So when you're in remission, you're not cured, you still take a blood test and you have the disease. But it's just that it's not actively trying to kill you at that moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. I get it. Uh, so yeah, so at 18, I was, uh, I had my last chemotherapy a week before my first day of college. And I was in remission for a couple years. And then I decided to go to medical school, which You know, when when you have an autoimmune disease, they tell you to to stay away from stress and to always get enough sleep. So medical school is not really the recommended path. No. (laughs) But but for me, you know, I, I figured nobody knows how long they have to live, but all of us can make our life matter. And my feeling was that if I went to medical school, then whatever time I had could mean something to other people that I could help other people's lives be better.
0: So is is that what got you through high school then, like, and through chemotherapy was pushing to eventually become a doctor or like, what was your motivation?
1: It was, that was part of it for me. I never let the disease define who I was. And I really give my mom a lot of the credit for that, that it was always about, you know, I was still myself. I was, a, you know, a geeky, sometimes funny, and a focused young woman who was going to make the world better in some way. Hmm. And lupus was just a hurdle that I had to overcome. And I never let it become the barrier to my life. It was just a hurdle. And so that's what kept it in perspective. And one of the things that helped me cope with the disease actually was trying to understand the science of it. So if I could spend my time studying AP biology and learning about cellular function and, bio- and how the body works, then it was more interesting to me, and I could kind of emotionally take a step back from what was actually happening inside of me and look at it more intellectually as a coping skill. Yeah. And also, my doctors saved my life. And you know, medications are not a way to live the rest of your life if you can avoid them, but they can save your life. Yeah. And even to this day, I'm a practicing medical doctor and I prescribe medications, but I use them as a tool where I can keep somebody alive long enough to teach them the nutrition that can can keep them, get them healthy again. But my doctors really saved my life. And if it wasn't for how aggressive they were, I might not have made it past 16. So that also was an inspiration for me that I could still help other people and save other people's lives, even if my life might not be as long as other people's were going to be, that, you know, my disease was considered incurable. But maybe I could have an impact on other people's lives who could be cured or who could at least have less suffering because you can be sick without suffering. And that is something that I was good at. And so I thought as a doctor who used to be a patient, I could help people overcome illness or deal with illness without having as much suffering in their life. So, yes, it gave me purpose.
0: You would have more empathy and and be able to relate to them on on a personal level, what they're going through.
1: Yes. And and to this day, everyone says that they've never met a doctor like me. And one of the reasons is I will cry with them when they're suffering. And then I cry with them when they're recovered and healed because we're so excited. And, you know, I, I treat every one of them. As family, every one of my patients has my cell phone number so that they can contact me if anything's going on or if they have a question and it's a very personal thing for me to be a physician because it's about so much more than symptoms or diseases but about helping people get their lives back and live a life that has meaning and purpose.
0: That's awesome. So so you went to Carnegie Mellon, right?
1: Yes, Carnegie Mellon for undergrad, and then I went to Temple Medical School, and I, I was telling you my story that, you know, I had made it through college while maintaining my remission, but in medical school without sleep and with all the stress of actually having to care for human lives, which is a lot more stressful in person than it is in the <laughs> textbook, um, <laughs> I, uh, I got sick again, and I actually— uh was getting blood clots throughout my body and I passed out in one of the clinics and, and was diagnosed with a mini stroke. I on MRI had been passing blood clots into my head. And so at that point the the lupus once you have lupus you are or any autoimmune disease actually you're usually going to continue to develop other autoimmune diseases and dysfunction it just continues on and on and so at this point i had a new antibody that was causing blood clots and so i was told if i didn't inject myself with blood thinners for the rest of my life that i would have a major stroke and that i could never have children Because, uh, having children between the blood clots and the kidney failure that I'd had, that it would be a death wish for me. So it was, uh, it was another heart rate, heartache and heartbreak, but I was only a year away from graduating medical school. And I just, you know, it took a couple of weeks to cry about that. And then I went back to, you know what, I'm still going to have my dream of being a doctor and yeah. nobody knows how long they have on the planet. So I'm just going to make my time matter. And I went back to just a place of gratitude and joy for what I did have in my life. And uh, and that's how I that's really how I live my life up until I found uh, the way to heal only uh, only actually a couple of years after that
0: okay so so you finished medical school and was was practicing for a period of time before um you really came across your your own cure
1: actually i was an intern okay so i i met my husband thomas tadlock my fourth year of medical school actually just a couple months before i was graduating and leaving to go to ucla and i uh you know, we we fell in love really quickly and knew that he was going to leave because I was in Pittsburgh at the time. He was going to come with me and we were going to start our lives together. Oh, and awesome. he was actually the one that it was it was because I met him and that that I came across the cure for myself. So it wasn't that. I was this brilliant scientist that figured it out. <laughs> it was actually my husband <laughs> and, and he didn't know that he was going to heal me either, but he was a, uh, he is a celebrity trainer and is a scientist that really understands cellular metabolism. Mm-hmm. So he knew how to get people to lose fat really fast and he would help uh, people who wanted to be on MTV, recording artists, celebrities who needed to lose fat fast. He could in- accelerate their metabolism using cellular biology by feeding them a certain way. And when I met him and he wanted to marry me, even though I couldn't have his children and even though I was probably going to be handicapped and needed to be taken care of before I would die early, he still wanted to marry me. And so once I knew that we were going to get married, I really wanted to look beautiful for our wedding and so i asked him to put me on a nutrition plan just to lose weight not for heal. you know lupus yeah. was incurable i just graduated medical school i knew that for superficial so, reasons
0: yeah, yeah. so c- can we actually talk about that for a minute because you said you uh, a lot of um Like your interest was to learn more about your own disease and like that that was where your passion was throughout uh, high school. So what did you learn through medical school related to lupus? Was there, it was basically that it was incurable and there's, it's managing symptoms or...
1: Yes. What I learned in medical school was terrifying. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> when I got sick, I mean, I, I'm going to be 40 years old soon. So when I was 16, there was no Google. So, and I think in some ways, I'm really glad about that because, uh, I didn't really know anything besides what my doctors told me Okay. and they weren't going to sit and go down the huge laundry list of all the terrible things that were in store for me. I do remember my mom gave me a book. And I started reading it and it got so depressing I didn't finish it because I just (laughs) so I didn't really understand really the the depths of how bad it was going to get until I became a, a medical student. And then basically at the end of every chapter that described some horrible disease, it would say people who are at risk this disease are and every time people with lupus was listed and i'd go oh happy birthday to me like this is <laughs> <laughs> great you know, so so basically because my because i had lupus i was more likely to get cancer i was more likely to get other autoimmune diseases i was more likely to get infections i was more likely to die from anything yeah and it is incurable according to western medicine is still considered incurable and only treatable so your best bet is to give people immunosuppressants that can slow down the lupus but the problem is people who are on things like corticosteroids long term also lose their bones they get bone loss and so then they need double hip replacements in their 20s and all these different things so well and you don't have
0: an immune system you get the flu
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh i would get the flu and i'd be sick for a month yeah so you know yeah there's just this it's just this horrible cycle of you know, the disease is attacking your organs, so then the medicine helps that, but then it puts you at risk for all these other problems, and that's really all there is. Yeah. And so yes, it was it was pretty depressing to read that stuff. But again, I kind of just took it in stride. I would just swallow and gulp and go, All right, well, you know, never know. May happen, may not. Let's just move to the next thing. Yeah. And so, you know, even when I started getting the blood clots, I remember going to my attending in family practice and saying, Listen, Something's wrong with me. My, uh, I have, I have these red dots in all my fingernails and i keep getting double vision where i literally the world would split in half side by side and i'd have oh, to wow. hold on to a wall until it went back together the normal way and i said I did, something's wrong and she accused me of being another hypochondriac medical student that thinks they have whatever they're reading about in the book yeah and what i can assure you that i don't want any of this what <laughs> <laughs> i've read the books i have no interest in any disease but something's wrong and and then shortly after that i ended up collapsing because the the double vision was being caused by blood clots. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it, it is a difficult thing, I think, especially when you have a disease like that, when you go through the training to really face all the things that could be. And for me, it was more motivation to try to stay as healthy as I could. Yeah. But I really had no idea how to do that. And especially when you're training to be a doctor, it's a very difficult thing to do because, you know, as a medical student, when I got sick, I was working about 100 hours a week. Yeah. And so, you know, it's very difficult to stay away from stress, and get enough sleep. And I had no idea how to eat right either.
0: Yeah. So what was healthy for you at that time?
1: <laughs> well, I've I'd been, I'd been a, a vegetarian since I was 12. And so there is, and that was before I got lupus. So vegetarian is not necessarily a healthy diet. Unless you're one that avoids dairy products and eggs, which were what I lived on. Yeah. So I ate a lot of eggs and cheese. And then I also liked salads and fruits and stuff like that. Um, But I also ate a lot of hospital prepared foods because that's where I spent most of my time was in the hospital. Of course, yeah. And if you want the perfect nutrition plan to get sick and fat, it's hospital cafeteria food.
0: Don't I know it. So.
1: (laughs) So by the time my husband wanted to marry me, I was actually at my heaviest because I was eating what was served in a hospital. And that is just the most sadly ironic information that (laughs) that there is because you would think that, you know, basically I tell people if they get in the hospital not to eat the food because it will keep them there longer.
0: Yeah, which is sad for given that it's a for-profit business. It's um, Mm -hmm. not motivating. (laughs) It's definitely room for improvement.
1: Yes. There are some exceptions, but most of the time it is, yes.
0: Yeah. So so you met your husband and well, you were with him for a while and you decided that you wanted to lose some weight to to get ready for your wedding. Yes. So how yes. how did that go? What did what did you change? <laughs> what did you do?
1: Okay, so uh his nutrition plan that he was already using was it, it was kind of like an early version of paleo before paleo existed, okay, uh, but it was very high in vegetables and it was high in omega three fatty acids and it was high in water, but it also included meat, usually grass fed meat, and he was able to get people really shredded and fit using that diet. yeah now, I'd been a vegetarian since I was twelve, and I wasn't going to eat animals, and so he had to make changes to it to make it something that would work for me, and I had to give up things that I liked because it wasn't going to work, such as uh, you know, dairy products were what I lived on, yeah. and those are the most fattening things you can possibly eat. So I, so we basically accidentally created a vegan diet for me without ever intending it or calling it that, where I was eating huge amounts of raw vegetables. I was having uh, large amounts of omega three fatty acids, large amounts of water, and then you know I was exercising, but I was already exercising a couple hours a day before that. But you know at that point I was exercising maybe maybe forty five minutes to an hour a day in addition to that. So that part hadn't really changed, but the nutrition was dramatically different. Okay. And what I noticed from that was just. Within a couple of days I had more energy than I'd ever recalled having and I was an intern so I had to work thirty hour shifts, you know, every yeah. few days. And I felt energized and normally if I missed sleep with lupus, if I didn't get sleep I would get migraines and joint pain. And I didn't have any of that. I felt fine. I actually felt really great. And so I had more energy than all the other Mopey residents that all looked like they were <laughs> depressed and dying too. And I was actually accused of being too happy and energetic. My chairman pulled me aside oh to make goodness. sure everything was okay because I seemed too happy and energetic for an intern. Um <laughs> <laughs> said, well, I'm just really blessed to, to have this job and to be living my dream. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I wasn't appropriately depressed. Weirdo. But, um, <laughs> But, uh I felt really good, and what happened was, um, you know it worked first of all, so I was a size eleven when I started it, and about three and a half months later, I was a size three, That's and incredible. I was really ripped and feeling great um, but i 'd felt the best i 'd ever felt in my life, and so I figured, whatever this is, this nutrition plan i 'm going to keep doing it just because I never felt so good, but yeah. again, had no thought that it could affect lupus because I just became a doctor. I knew nutrition had nothing to do with disease, right? Of course, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Of course not. Of course. If it was important, they would have taught me that and all that torture of medical school. <laughs> there would have been a, a chapter, right? So... So I didn't think it had any impact on that. And right before we left for our wedding, I went to see the doctor, my new doctors in California, and he took on my blood test. And right before we left for Maui, where we got married, he said that there was an error with the lab and that I would have to retake the blood test when I came back. I said, what's the error? And he said, well, these tests are negative for lupus. I went, well, that's definitely an error. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. once you test positive for lupus, it, you stay testing positive forever. Yeah. And so, and if you tested positive and then you test negative, you never had it and it was a glitch. But when you had it for 12 years, that that glitch doesn't happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I went, okay. I went and I enjoyed my wedding, came back and retook all my tests and it was negative for lupus again. And the blood clotting antibodies were also negative now. And my Cholesterol that I'd been told was genetically high was perfect. And my heart rate had come down 30 points and my blood pressure had come down 30 points. And it was like I turned into some kind of mega healthy (laughs) athlete, which I was not. And he just looked at me and blinked. And he's just, you know, if I hadn't read your chart, I wouldn't think that you were ever sick. And so I continued seeing him for about a year. And then finally, at, at a year later, I asked him if I could get off my medicine because I was still taking medication, even though I had. I felt great and my labs were normal because everyone was afraid. Like he said I was on medication to treat his anxiety because he was scared. <laughs> like, you don't take someone with, who'd had a mini stroke off of blood thinners. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, I, I decided that, you know, let's do it. We'll monitor me closely, but I don't want to take anything I don't need. And so we did that. And another year after that, he fired me. I was fired by my rheumatologist because I wasn't sick. And uh, that's incredible. <laughs> one of the coolest things that ever happened. He said, if he hadn't read my chart, he would say that I was only alleging to have lupus because (laughs) he just, he'd never seen anyone who had my history and who had had my previous results and tests ever just turn healthy. And he, he didn't know what to think about it. And nobody, we didn't even discuss it. He never brought up what did you change? Did you change your nutrition, this and that? And I didn't know either. We, it just didn't even come up. Hmm. It wasn't even something to consider. And at that it point, was there just, was no okay. case
0: studies that showed people
1: no. having oh my similar God, results. No. Or... no. So it was just, I didn't know what was going on. But he said, if you ever need me, just give me a call. But you need to stop coming in here. So, okay. <laughs> so, um, and it was a few years after that that I decided to do the thing that everybody said was going to kill me and have children. And the, all the doctors told me that this remission, even though there was no test for lupus even showing up anymore, they said it was some kind of amazing remission. And if I got pregnant, the lupus was going to come back. It would kill me. It would kill the baby. Yeah. And I just looking at it as a doctor myself and knowing how my body felt, I just didn't believe it anymore. And so even though my husband was scared, he had faith in me. and uh, And we went ahead and got pregnant. And I had a healthy pregnancy healthy baby boy, I have two sons now, and uh, there's never been any sign of disease ever coming back. Wow, that's and awesome. so now it's been uh, it's been over 11 years that I've been 100% disease-free, lupus-free, and living an extraordinary healthy life. And so that's why I retired. I was a medical director of, a, of a, a clinic in Long Beach treating the homeless, and I retired from that to dedicate my life full-time to teaching people how to reverse disease using diet and get off their medications because I believe that there's no greater calling that I could possibly have right now than to do that.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. So I I have a quick question. So I I think they say that getting pregnant is going to cause lupus to come back because uh, the fetus is a foreign body. Is, Is that right?
1: it's not necessarily the case when you become pregnant, it suppresses your immune system, okay, and that can affect your immune system functions so for some women who are who have active lupus during their pregnancy, they actually feel better and then uh, after the deliver the baby, it comes back with a vengeance, and they go into organ failure, can have strokes, and all sorts okay. of things. For others, uh, they actually develop the disease during the pregnancy, and it's not clear why. Some believe it's the hormonal change. And for example, I got it at 16, and it was likely related to hormone changes. Yeah. They're not really sure what the causes are that trigger the genetics because you have the underlying genetics and they have to be triggered and as i've been able to show with myself and multiple other people they can be untriggered yeah uh, so with pregnancy you've got the combination of disrupting normal immune function and totally changing the body hemodynamics the blood supply how much blood you have and all these excessive amounts of hormones and when you've got uh, the genetics for lupus, the, the body does not tend to handle that well. And so for me, when I got pregnant, they said, okay, the pregnancy is going to bring it back. But then I, w- I was healthy during the pregnancy. Yeah. So then they said, the delivery is going to kill you. And they all were waiting around me after the delivery. And I was fine. I had to have a C-section because my son was breached. And um, and I was up walking around looking for lunch. Like, I felt fine. Wow! And nobody could believe it, you know. Um, my second pregnancy, they didn't even call in the high-risk OB because they just— they didn't even believe I was going to get sick again. Wow. But when I first got pregnant, my, my OB freaked out, sent me to the high-risk OB. The high-risk OB sent me back and said, there's nothing wrong with her. And they were all, everyone was freaking out. <laughs>
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So so was that the aha moment for you then when you're like, wait a second, like at what point did you say it's, it's the food?
1: That was really it. After I had my son, my first son, uh, a week uh, it was nine days after he was born, it was my birthday, and so my husband wanted to take me out and I was nursing my son, but my mom was there, and she goes there 's a restaurant across the street." You nurse him, run across the street and and have dinner and then I'll text you when he's hungry and you come back and so you could have just a little time together. I yep. said, okay, great. So I had not put on clothing, like regular clothes since <laughs> I gave birth. I was living in pajamas, you know, nursing a baby. I sat in pajamas and I nursed my baby and slept when I could and that's it. Of course. So I hadn't, you know, and i would gained 40 pounds during the pregnancy. So it's nine days after I give birth and I go into my closet and my clothes that I was wearing before I got pregnant fit me. My size three jeans were perfect on me, like I'd never had a baby. And my husband posted pictures online and people were freaking out That it was amazing. But for me, that's when for my husband and myself, something clicked where, you know, as a trainer, most of the people he trained were women who were trying years later to get their pre pregnancy body back. Yeah. And I had done nothing but sleep and nurse and eat and mine came back by itself. And we realized that my body had changed so dramatically that I had a metabolism that not only... Didn't want to gain weight, but it was responding to whatever challenges were happening in real time. So pregnant, I got fully pregnant, gained the weight, did whatever I needed to do, gave birth, huge blood supply, stomach goes back to normal in a week and a half. Um, And my body's just responding amazingly. And so that's when we realized that my body wasn't the same anymore. And this body didn't want to be sick. It didn't want to be fat. It didn't want to be slow or sluggish. This body was healthy yeah. from a cellular level on. And so we really sat down and went, what is going on? The two of us are scientists. And we said, we really looked at this and we reverse engineered and looked at what had I done. And the only thing I had done was changed my diet. And so we reverse engineered the diet to look at what foods did I stop eating could have possibly been promoting cellular inflammation and disrupting my immune function? And what foods did I start eating that could possibly cause healing to happen? Yeah. And what we realized was that we had accidentally created the most anti-inflammatory diet possible on a cellular level. And that was why it had worked for me. And so at that point I started to, I created a nutrition protocol using uh, the components of the diet that we realized had helped me so much. And I started running other people through those protocols to see what would happen. People with lupus and other autoimmune diseases, people with diabetes, high cholesterol. And what we found was every single person who did it was reversing illness and getting better. 100% and it was success, happening right. every single time. I've never had somebody do it and not get results. It is just incredible. And so that's when we realized that this was really our path. And so him and I together now travel the country teaching this to not only hospitals and doctors, but any, any, any conference where they want me to come and teach, I'm happy to do it to really spread this message to help enable people and empower people to get their lives back as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So what, what are the fundamentals of that, uh, of that diet?
1: So there's six steps to healing. And so with, and I call it the six steps to healing with supermarket foods because really it's important. So many people come to me on tons of supplements and things that, you know, cost them tons of money. And really all you need to do is go to a supermarket and you can get the majority of the results and things that you need to get better right there. And so the six six steps are one through three are avoiding inflammatory foods. So the foods, and when I say inflammatory, I mean the foods that create, uh, encourage inflammation that then cause your immune system not to function, right, and cause your genetics to get triggered that are causing disease. And so uh, the foods that cause disease are, number one, animal products. And that includes meat, fish, chicken, eggs, all of those actually create inflammatory immune cells that then create more uh, inflammation in your body that then trigger your genetics for disease. And that yeah. disease can be anything from cancer to autoimmune disease to diabetes or heart disease. Uh, then the the second thing would be the added oils. So um, there are certain oils that don't directly cause inflammation, like olive oil is not really involved in creating inflammation, although it's not a health food by any means, yeah. but most oils are very high in omega-6 fatty acids, canola oil, vegetable oils, um, palm oils, very bad for you. All of those will create, they actually create an inflammatory immune response that you can measure in someone's bloodstream after they eat it. And so when you're trying to reverse disease, you want to avoid anything that's going to trigger more inflammation, which is going to trigger more disease. So you want to avoid those oils as well. Yeah. And, and then, um, processed foods. Processed foods are really uh, just full of oil and chemicals that trigger inflammation. And again, they've done studies where people will eat processed foods and 30 minutes later, it looks like they're having an immune response uh, yeah. to a cold or a virus when actually it's just a response to food and if you are triggering your immune system every time you eat a meal eventually your immune system will dysfunction of course and it will become part of the disease and so you want to only have your immune system triggered when there's an actual thing that needs to be solved not because you had lunch (laughs) so if you can avoid those three things you're going to already be on the path to uh, to healing right because you're going to be avoiding excess inflammation The, the next three steps are about actually giving yourselves the tools they need to do the repair work. So a lot of people, they go vegan, and they say, all right, I gave up meat and dairy, and I gave up processed foods and all this stuff and I still have symptoms left it's because they're not triggering inflammation anymore but they're not eating the foods they need to actually accelerate the healing process and so when you want to eat for healing the steps you want to follow is uh, step number four is high amounts of raw foods especially greens. Greens are the most nutrient dense and they're the fastest path to healing Um, omega 3 fatty acids uh, which create your anti-inflammatory immune response so if you don't have omega 3s you can't fight inflammation so like I use chia seeds and flax seeds with my clients and the water most people are severely dehydrated and if you don't have enough water to have the chemical reactions take place to actually get rid of the inflammation you're not going to do it and you're just going to use whatever water you get just to keep your vital organs functioning so yeah uh, most folks are also dehydrated so i focus on high volumes of water as as well
0: and our digestive processes are hydrolysis dependent right so if you're not getting enough water then you're not going to digest and get the proper nutrients out of there
1: right water is involved in almost every chemical reaction that needs to take place yeah. from getting rid of fat to um, to actually having your immune cells pro- function properly and if you don't have enough water then you're going to use it to keep your blood pressure up you know vital functions to keep you alive yeah but i've seen where people are eating healing foods but they're not having enough water and they don't get better they plateau and then we increase their water to you know 96 ounces to a gallon and boom it's like a miracle happens and it just accelerates all the way to the finish line so every single component of those six steps are important and the cool thing is you can actually take them one step at a time in any order you want and you will have see your health continuously get better or if you do all six at once you'll have this dramatic reversal that happens very quickly. And in my four-week protocol, that's what I do. I I see people every day for four weeks where we do all six steps at once where they're only having um, nourishing, uh, anti-inflammatory diet. And those are the people who can go from literally disabled, unable to get out of their chair without help, to hiking and biking within a week or two. And it's really, really incredible and dramatic.
0: And so are most of your patients lupus patients, or do you treat a clientele with a mix of medical conditions?
1: with a wide variety of illnesses. I'm most well known for lupus, obviously, uh, because of my own personal story and because my book, Goodbye Lupus, is about how I healed lupus and how people can can do the same for themselves. But I see people really with just a wide variety of diseases and uh, literally from anywhere from heart disease, diabetes, um, any type of autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's, uh, scleroderma, Sjogren's There's so many different autoimmune diseases Even to cervical dysplasia Which I recently was able to reverse in somebody um, So, you know, it's really The, the gambit, because if you eat this diet, your cells will be able to heal whatever is plaguing them. And that's the most important thing for people to understand is, you know, if someone tells you there's a different diet for every disease, don't listen. Your cells all need the same thing. And and when you give your cells what they need, they heal themselves. So I don't heal them. I just tell them what tools they need. And then their bodies heal themselves the same way their body heals a, a, a wound. You know, you, you get a paper cut. You don't sew it closed. Body that's knows true. what to do. So it's the same thing with your internal organs. If you give them the right tools and you stop making it worse, then your body will heal itself. And so really, it can work for pretty much any disease that's inflammatory, which are most diseases.
0: Uh, that's incredible. For most of our evolution, we didn't have medicine. Um, mm-hmm. Our bodies did it on its own. So
1: We didn't have any of the diseases we're fighting for most of human existence. That's right. you know, so, I mean, the cancer rates are going up, diabetes rates are going up. Uh, autoimmune disease rates are going up and they're getting kids are getting them younger and younger. So yeah. we are getting sicker and sicker younger and younger and a lot of these diseases really are killing kids off in their youth. I mean lupus is one that people get in their teens to 20s most of the time. I mean so it kills a lot of and disables people who are just beginning their lives, but it is really an epidemic now where we are really on that cusp Uh, where we're either going to see kids not living as long as their parents, which is what has been predicted is happening for the first time in human history, or we're going to have this dramatic realization and revolution in medical care and nutrition that's going to help us get on the path to healing and living the way we're meant to.
0: Well, hopefully that's uh, the latter is the case there.
1: I'm working really hard (laughs) (laughs) for that ending, yes.
0: So you do you do a lot of like speeches and whatnot at hospitals. You were saying, um, are, are you seeing the culture change?
1: Oh, absolutely! The culture of medicine is changing. I call it the medical revolution is happening. The healthcare revolution is happening. It's just it's slow. So, for example, I spoke at the International Plant-Based Nutrition Healthcare Conference. And when that conference started, the first time, it was about 150 doctors showed up. And the second time, there were 300. When I taught, there was 600. And it's been doubling. And last year, they had, I think about, I'm trying to remember now, maybe 800 or so. The only reason it, it actually... So it's sold out. They could have actually kept getting more and more doctors, but they couldn't fit any more in the room. Oh wow. So the people are, are learning this information and then I I've even seen for me I've been Doing these protocols now for about seven years. And when I first started doing it, people were finding me and telling me my doctor says this isn't going to work and that this is nonsense, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'd say, great, stay with that doctor so they can watch you and learn something because they need you. Right. Yeah. Now I get most of the folks, maybe, maybe half, maybe half the folks are people who referred to me by their doctor because their doctor heard about me, their doctor read my book. I have doctor's offices that actually stock my book so that they, they don't feel like they have time to teach nutrition, so they just give them the book and tell them to read it so they can learn it. Yeah. So the medical culture has changed a lot. Uh, I actually have an appointment with a major medical center in December who wants to do a big clinical trial using my research on lupus. And so oh, when awesome. we can get a huge clinical trial going at a major medical center, that's going to change the culture enormously. So it is absolutely changing, and I think everyone wants to be right there at the forefront of what the next medical breakthrough. So uh, there's been a lot of pushback against nutrition because nobody makes money when people eat well, you know. (laughs) But at the same time, the research organizations want to be the first ones out there to have all that information. And so I'm really excited to be able to do that on an even bigger level because even though I've got, you know tons of case studies. I'm one doctor seeing people, you know, yeah. I, I can't see a 100 people at once. But if we can get a big clinical trial, then that's going to get the attention of doctors worldwide as well, who might not look at case studies, but only want to see the big trials. So it is changing. And I always tell people, you know, don't get mad, mad at your doctor, try to understand that, they They believe they've learned everything they need to know. I mean, they do teach us in medical school that you know, here's everything you need to know, and that's why we're torturing <laughs> you this much is because you need to know all this. And so to even imagine that there was something that was left out, or even possibly intentionally, who knows, right? We don't know that yeah. it's just it's it's too much to bear. It's too hard to even really conceptualize. So the best thing you can do is, Show them by getting healthy and saying, hey, I'm going to do this diet, you follow my blood tests, and let's see what happens, and let them yeah. see it, because that will help them wake up, and then that's going to change all the other patients' lives that they come into contact with.
0: Well, doctors have to be somewhat data-driven, yes. right? So yes. show them the data.
1: Absolutely.
0: So the change initially was on a doctor-by-doctor basis. It wasn't really an institutional change, whereas now you're saying with, with your trial coming up, that's, that's the start of the institutional change.
1: I'm hoping so. I, I've been approached for uh, for by two places about doing a clinical trial. So first, we got to see it happen. But yes, I think that will be the difference. I mean, when I do a presentation to a hospital or to doctors, and they see the dramatic changes that can happen in someone who has end-stage incurable disease, who literally becomes fully active again, someone who's told she could never walk again, that's running marathons, right? that they're moved and I see doctors literally in tears moved and excited because they all became doctors because they want to save lives nobody becomes yeah. a doctor to make money you graduate 300 grand in debt and you're working crazy <laughs> hours you lost your 20s in the library like nobody that's not a way to get rich anymore like it used to be you know back in the old old days yeah <laughs> so The only reason people go to medical school now is they truly feel in their heart they want to save lives. And it's actually why there's such a high depression rate in doctors. Is because they they end up being prescribers who are told they can spend 15 minutes with somebody and they don't get better. They get worse and worse and worse. And so when I can show people that I've gotten phone calls from doctors in tears because they had this one woman called me who went to one of my presentations and learned my protocol. And she had a patient with autoimmune disease. They couldn't diagnose what kind it was. And she sent her to the Mayo Clinic and to UCLA and they both and they both told her there was nothing they could do. (laughs) And this woman was just horribly in pain couldn't function properly and there was nothing they could do. The medications weren't working. And she put her on my protocol for four weeks and she came off all of her medications symptom-free. And the doctor called me crying because she was just so excited that she was able to help this woman that everyone else had written off. And all she did was change her diet. So, you know, the doctors do want to be inspired and they do want to be moved. And so when they do get to see the information in front of them and they see all these people and their cases and their faces, they get excited. But yes, yeah, if there's someone who's never heard of me and doesn't know anything about this, and all they read is the New England Journal of Medicine, they're going to roll their eyes and go, whatever. If it's not in the New England Journal of Medicine, then it's not real. And so that's why we got to get into that journal. I was told that as a resident, if it's not in the New England Journal of Medicine, you don't need to worry about it. Hmm. And, and, And that's crazy, because the nutrition journals have dramatic, amazing research in them. And if you read it, any doctor who reads the research will be vegan. That's just yeah. if you either, you either read the research and you're vegan or you didn't read the research and you're not. But there's no, you can't read it and not be compelled. Yeah. But there's going to be people who say that it wasn't in the New England Journal. It's not real. So that's why we got to fight to put it there. And so that's what I'm hoping the trials will be able to do.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And good luck on those.
1: Thank you. I need it. Yeah, everybody <laughs> will put good mojo out there for me to make this happen. <laughs>
0: well we we had touched before on like there's there's no money to be made off of um good nutrition mm-hmm. i don't know if that's necessarily true do you know of anyone that is following the approach of like you said that there was 100 hour weeks while you were doing your internship has anyone thought of like focusing that nutrition on interns running a trial on interns and and you could even create a control group there where you one hospital or one group where you you give nutritional guidance to and see if there's an increase in like intern efficiency so maybe maybe the hospital can directly benefit from a financial standpoint by having fewer errors by interns or greater productivity while they're going through their internships
1: well, that's a brilliant idea. First of all, let me just clarify because I don't want to get my residency program in trouble. Okay. As a medical student, I worked hundred-hour weeks. When I became an intern, they had just passed a law saying you can't work more than eighty week, hours. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so that that law didn't exist when I was a med student, uh, and you know that twenty hours makes a difference. But I do think that's a brilliant idea. Um, productivity is a great place to look at it. Uh, I, I, I should clarify: doctors and hospitals don't make money when people eat well. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've always said I'd be happy to work myself out of a job. That's my goal is to have nobody ever need me again. And, uh, and I was told by a previous, uh, partner that I was a bad business person because my patients (laughs) kept getting better and leaving. And I said, that's (laughs) good. You know, I like to see people and then never see them again and just get postcards or well nowadays emails with a picture of them hiking the Grand Canyon. I mean, that is what I live for.
0: I would argue that that doesn't make you a bad business person because it's, (laughs) it's bad at operations. Great at marketing.
1: I, uh, It was it, the, the typical Mrs. Model is someone becomes your patient and they're your patient until you retire. Yeah. And that's not the way I see things. I'm doing a bad job if someone's not getting better every time I see them. And a lot of times I see people once and then that's it. That's all they needed. Oh, Other wow. people need to see me again maybe for, for for more support. It depends on how much they knew and how much support they need. A lot yep. of it's emotional as well. But if they're not significantly getting better every time I see them, that that's a problem to me. And that's and it just doesn't happen. But yes, I, I think. We need to change the hospital system. I like the hospital systems that are out there now where the hospital is the insurance company like Kaiser, uh, because they actually make money when people are healthier because most hospitals only make money when the beds are full. Yeah. But if the hospital is the insurance company, they lose money when the beds are full because they're paying the insurance. So huh. we need more systems, I think, like that. And I'm not uh, paid by Kaiser to endorse them or anything, but I, I like those business models where They will benefit most where the business benefits by people being healthy. And I think that needs to really be the incentive is that the healthier people are, the better the business is. And then they're going to really look for, well, how do we help people need the doctor less? Yeah. And, And that's where nutrition really comes in.
0: Yeah. The fee for service model definitely has some flaws. Mm hmm. What's the success rate? Like you, you said, your patients, it's 100% success. Do you know of any that six months goes down the road and they fall off the wagon or like, do people tend to stick to it?
1: For the most part, they do. You know, the way I have it set up, it's, uh, there's an intensive phase, where people are working hard to actually reverse symptoms where they need to be more strict with their diet. And then after that, there's a maintenance phase where they can actually add back foods that they enjoy that are not healing foods and it won't make them sick because their body's now resilient. Yeah. And so that has been one of the great, great selling points, I think, for people where I have someone who, you know, she, she started out, she was going to retire early because uh, she couldn't go upstairs for two years and she was supposed to lead a meeting upstairs and she hadn't been able to lead it and she was having trouble getting to work in the morning was passing out by seven at night and she had lupus and just severe arthritis and pain and exhaustion and her doctor actually sent her to me and uh he he had put her on a vegan diet actually but it was a high starch one it was lots of beans and rice and potatoes and things like that okay and she didn't recover she felt a little bit better but was still disabled And so she was going to retire due to disability. And so she came to me to do this four-week nutrition program that's very strict. And with her, within three days, she was taking walks uphill every day. And uh, by the end of a week, she could get up and down out of her chair without having to use her arms to do it. And by 13 days into it, she was going up and downstairs again for the first time in two years. Wow. So, you know, when you look at that, you go, wow, that's amazing, right? So then what happens afterwards? Well, at the end of four weeks, she was hiking, biking, doing all this stuff, feeling great. (laughs) And so she went into maintenance phase where she could add back the rice and beans and potatoes and all those things. Um, and if she wanted other foods that were outside of the six steps, she could have them and she wouldn't like it in terms of her stomach might not like it, but she could have them. And so what she does now is uh, she ch- she has meat or dairy probably once a month to fulfill a okay. craving she has. And when she does it, she gets a food hangover. Yeah, you know, her her energy's low, and she why would I do that? You know, it's like having too much beer or something. But her arthritis doesn't come back, her pain doesn't come back, her lupus doesn't come back. So that's the difference. Once you get your immune system optimized and your cells really healthy, you can have a bad meal that's that's inflammatory. And your body will be able to process it. But if that's all you eat and you're sick, you're not going to get better. So that's a really important thing that I think makes it doable. But, yes, every once in a while somebody gets uh, just kind of – will relapse into eating bad foods. And that's an emotional thing. And that's one of the reasons I stay in touch with people. As I said, people are family to me when they become clients of mine. And so I often will send a text out every six months or a year. Someone will cross my mind and I'll say, hey, how you doing? And usually if somebody relapses, though, it's not because the diet was hard. It was because of emotional reasons. And a lot of people eat badly when they're depressed. they are going through something hard in their life. And unfortunately, once they go down that road, sometimes they don't know how to get back. And that's why I'm very available.
0: There's a feedback loop there where bad food makes you uh, more depressed. It has a Absolutely. negative effect on your mental state. In so.
1: the moment you feel better, you get that dopamine rush. That's right. and then And then it gets worse. And so uh, I try to make it very easy for people to reach out to me. As I said, they all have my cell phone number and they can text me anytime. And I'm happy to, to help people get back on track. Most of the time, though, people, when they when they start feeling amazing, they get addicted to that feeling. And so the majority of the time people are able to adapt to the new way of living and eating because they have a life they never had before, you yeah. know, most of the people I see, they're not just people who oh, I could be a little healthier, have a little more <laughs> energy, most of the people I'm seeing, they've got serious illness, organ failure, you know, and so when they find out that, you know, they can get off of these drugs by eating kale, most of them just, you know, they stick to kale, they're like, yeah. this works. <laughs> so I always tell people I'm more addicted to how I feel being healthy than I ever was to cheese. And it's absolutely the truth. So for most folks, uh, the fact that they can maintain their health while having their cheap meals once they get healthy really keeps them on track, um, but for a lot of people, they have no interest because it 's kind yeah. of like once you hit your late thirties you don 't really want to go into a drinking binge anymore because yeah. the hangover's not worth it uh, you know once you get super healthy and you try to eat crap food, the hangovers is not worth it
0: and it 's almost <laughs> instantaneous. I yeah. found that with myself that like the desire to to have a quote unquote cheat day just diminishes more and more over time. When you do,
1: oh, yeah.
0: it's just not worth it.
1: Oh, absolutely. I had a guy recently who he just had multiple food allergies and he couldn't eat any fresh foods and, and but he was having milk every day and all this stuff. So I got him off the milk, got him off the meat. He was a guy I went to the gym with. He just happened to start a conversation with me. I'm like, let's sit down. I'm going to fix this. So yeah. <laughs> So he was back to being able. I mean, he literally needed an EpiPen. He was so allergic to fruits. And now he's able to eat any fruit or vegetable he wants. Because he got off the meat and dairy, right? Wow. So he's feeling great. He's eating fruits and vegetables. This is a guy, a professional bodybuilder, picked me up and bear hugged me in the gym because he was so excited. He asked my husband's permission first, and then he gave me a bear hug. But, <laughs> you know, he's feeling great. But he told me that his wife had made some hot dogs for the grandkids, and she asked him if he wanted to finish them because there were leftovers. And uh, he decided to eat some some hot dogs. And he went to sleep, and he said the next morning he couldn't get out of bed. He didn't have energy to go to the gym. Like, he just felt wrecked. Wow. And he realized just, oh, my God, you know, it's not worth it. My energy's gone. All this is gone. So I said, first of all, we've got to talk about what you're giving your grandkids. Yeah. But second, now you can see – you know what the power of food and once you know that it's really hard to go back so I try to also help people not feel not demoralize themselves when they go off the diet I'm like be a scientist so you ate crap on Thanksgiving how did you feel okay (laughs) well now you've done some scientific research that you felt like crap you had no energy da 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 you had more joint pain now you've done some research that can help you redirect yourself to the way that you want to eat instead of oh I screwed up I might as well just give up on this and I hate myself just go well that was an interesting research study I did and now I know yeah. that, you know, turkey is not good for me. And then you move on and, and you keep going. And that way, you know, it takes away that emotional side of it. Because a lot of people, they just beat themselves up so severely and then they lose all motivation. So I focus on celebrating every time you do it right. And if you do it wrong, just try to keep unemotional about it and use it as research to, to remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing.
0: So you're, you're a psychiatrist as well. So most of your practice yes. is related around foodborne illness. And the psychiatry is kind of incidental, or do you do you try to get uh, patients that are more on that side as well?
1: It's not incidental. I have a passion and a gift for psychiatry, and I absolutely adore doing it. Uh, everything I do is online because I travel, so I'm kind of a doctor of the future. All of my patients, whether they're uh, psychiatry patients or nutrition clients, are all via Skype and phone. So okay. I'm, I'm you know kind of this virtual doc on, on your computer. Um, but uh, so I I absolutely adore my psychiatry patients and i have therapy patients that i see and even with them i i'm very holistic and i use nutrition to optimize brain function and mood and memory uh and not just medication you know so that's very important to me but at this point Especially with all the press I've gotten between the movie Eating You Alive that's coming out, and my book's been bestseller uh, quite a few times now on Amazon, that um, the majority of the people who seek me out now are looking for nutrition treatment for chronic disease. Yeah. But I, I enjoy doing both very much.
0: I could see there's, there would be quite a bit of crossover there between the two.
1: Oh, absolutely. As I mentioned, food is an emotional thing. It has to do with tradition. It has to do with mood and emotion. And there's so much more to it than just, oh, this is what I'm supposed to eat. Thanks. No problem. So yes, when I'm doing nutrition consultations, there's a whole lot of work on inspiration and motivation and love and support that, that I put into those folks. And, uh, and for folks who come with me with psychiatric, uh, concerns, you know, your brain, you, you, I always tell people your head's attached to your body by this funny thing called your neck. <laughs> and and so when you feed your body the wrong foods, it affects your brain's ability to function. And so on both sides, yeah, there's there's a huge amount of crossover. And I find that the more work I do on either side makes me better at the other.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, we're, our brains are just chemical soup and you feed it mm. specific uh, chemistry and it impacts the way it works. Absolutely. So I usually ask my guests what is one piece of advice if so, if someone's listening right now and and they they're kind of on the fence and if they could only do one thing what like if we broke it down what would your advice to them be
1: My most important piece of advice for people who are just getting started is to add what you're missing. So it can be very overwhelming for people to think about changing their entire diet, to, you know, "Ah, I gotta give up meat and dairy and my macaroni and cheese and all this, my goldfish crackers and all (laughs) the things they're addicted to. And when you tell someone to give things up, there's this automatic emotional response that says, no mind, I don't want to.
0: defensive wall
1: exactly so my greatest suggestion that has really transformed people's lives and the greatest has had the greatest impact in transforming lives is to start with adding what you're missing so don't give anything up don't give up your burger don't give up anything else add in the the things that you're missing. And and the easiest way to do that is actually something called uh green smoothies. So, um my husband and I call it the smoothie solution. If you get a nice powerful blender like a Vitamix blender and you put in 75% of it of greens like kale, spinach, things like that and then put in whatever frozen fruit you like to make it taste good, a handful of flax seeds for your omega-3s, you put water in it. Now you got your hydration. Boom, you you blend that up you have now got the, the, the three steps to healing right there, right? You, you've yeah. got your, your healing raw foods, you got your water, and you got your omega-3s. If you drink that blender full of a beautiful green smoothie – you are now giving your body what it needs to fight back against the inflammatory foods. And so my husband and I started this group called the Smoothie Shred on Facebook. Oh, cool. And uh, it's smoothieshred.com. It's a 100% free. And all it is, uh, people join that group who are just committing to drink a green smoothie a day. You don't have to be vegan or plant-based. You don't have to give anything up at all. You're just agreeing to add a healing habit into your life. And we've got over 3,000 people from all over the world there who are sharing their stories and supporting each other with this habit. And what happens happens is people come in and the rules are you don't have to change your diet, just add this. And what happens is people add the smoothies and their energy goes up yeah. and their mood goes up and their cravings for sugar go away and all these things start happening. And then they start asking, what else can I do? Tell mm-hmm. me about being vegan. I want to eat more of this good stuff because when I have the smoothie, I feel great. And then I had my burger and I felt like caca. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you naturally start to crave the good things once you've given your body what it's missing. So I find it's a really no pressure way to start accelerating the health process and the healing process without having to have the fear and emotional entanglement of, you know, telling someone to give things up. And it really prepares the brain and the body for the next step, which is, okay, how do we optimize your diet? What can we take away that's holding you back?
0: I know smoothies are a staple in my house. I, I absolutely love my green smoothies.
1: Me too. I got one in front of me right now. I absolutely adore them. It's just, it, you know, you're getting all your raw food in yeah. and you can do business and drink out of a straw, but I can't eat a salad and be on a Skype session, eat broccoli in the teeth and all that. <laughs> but but I can But I can drink a smoothie and not only am I giving myself tons of energy and nourishment, I'm teaching because every time they see me drink it, they're like, okay, I got to drink my smoothie. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, so it's reinforcing.
0: Well, and you're going to be by, by adding the benefit of a green smoothie, you're going to have less room for that extra cookie or that piece of cake or something like that so
1: absolutely you're more full but you also crave it less because a lot of people their cravings are around their addictions but really when you're hungry it's because you need nourishment yeah and for some people zero meals they eat have nourishment it's all what i call recreational eating it's eating to get high and so if all you've ever done is eat to get high and you've never been nourished it changes everything Someone has a green smoothie and it's just whoa! I didn't know that that I could get energy like this. Mm. You know that you actually vitamins and minerals give you energy, and there's no caffeine deficiency that you're experiencing. That means you need more more coffee to feel better. Yeah. That you know once they know what real nourishment feels like, there's an internal motivator to start eating better. So that's really where I recommend people start. And, and I invite people to join our group. Like I said, it's 100% for free. It's just a, a support group. And for my husband and I, it's our gift to the world to make sure that everybody out there, whether they can afford treatment or not, that everybody out there has access to the information and support they need to live healthier lives.
0: And I'll link that in the blog post as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's It seems like we've covered so much.
1: Absolutely. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Well, thank you so much. Keep up the great work and good luck with your clinical trial. I know the path have learned a lot today. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for what you're doing. You know, without folks like you who are getting the word out there you know people like me just we have a limited audience there's only so many stages i can get to there's only so many books i can write but um when you offer the opportunity for people to be able to hear these podcasts and learn it really spreads the word and it helps so many people
0: i'm happy to add my voice to i I think this is a public good and every everyone needs to know this and so many people are in the dark and I know I I searched for information for a long time myself and thought I knew what good nutrition was and really didn't. So if if we can get it out to more people, in front of more people, hopefully uh, people can live happier and healthier lives. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Mend It Paths podcast at www.menditpaths.com. If you haven't already done so, please like our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash menditpass. See you all next time. Visit
1: menditpass.com and get back to